Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Cover Your Assets KC, the podcast that's going to help you get a little smarter when it comes to your financial and retirement planning. I'm Walter Storholt alongside David Dickens, President and Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors in Kansas City with an office in Overland Park. You can submit your questions to the show and uh, find out more information at CoverYourAssetsKC.com. Today is part two of our three-part series on the three things you must understand if you're retiring in, you know, three to five years, somewhere in that ballpark. And David, in episode number one in this series, we talked about taxes in retirement, and today we turn the page to estate planning before you retire. We do, and it's um, we're not going to get you know super deep down in the weeds because I'm not an attorney or an estate planning attorney, but you I can, do with you this. You can play one on the podcast, though, if you want. <laughs> exactly, and I might be accused of that today, but I'm not. You know, this is not legal advice. But it is, we look at this all the time because this is a sweet spot for the people that come and find a person like me who works with money like they have. And the estate planning basics are really wrapped around what you're going to do with your money and who you're going to leave it to when you're gone. And if you don't decide that, the state will do it for you. So this stuff is going to be super important. I think it's going to be, there's going to be something in here that's actionable, I hope for every listener. And if it's not you, then it's probably a parent that you have, or if you're old enough, maybe it's your 50-year-old kid. But if you don't find it specifically relevant to you, think through your list of people you care about, because uh, this stuff is really important, and a lot of it falls through the cracks as you drift through your life trying to get to retirement thinking about all the other stuff. And a lot of people, David, I think also may just tune right past this episode. And if you were you know, tempted to hit that skip button, hold off for a second, because one of the common things we understand and hear from folks is that they are, uh, there's just misconception where folks don't think that estate planning is going to be something that applies to them. That's It's just for the rich. But you've seen time and time again where that's not necessarily the case, is it? Absolutely. So kind of just to give you a preview of where we're going, we're going to say, the first thing we're going to talk about is, do I need a trust? And the answer for most people is no, you probably don't. So the second piece is, well, what do I need to do if I decide I don't need a trust? And then thirdly, we want to talk about some really important legal documents that are so simple to put in place. But if you don't, they cause you a lot of problems. And these are things for 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 year olds, these the the last things we're going to talk about. So uh, stick around to the end and I think you'll find if if the trust or no trust discussion doesn't uh, speak to you. I think that last piece will. Well, let's dive in. Uh, Another thing that you must understand if you're retiring in three to five years, estate planning before retirement, and uh, is the trust the place to start? Yeah, I think it is because we get a lot of questions on that. People just assume, especially because 10, 20, and 30 years ago, you kind of sort of pretty much did a lot of people did need a trust. And these days, what I'm going to suggest here is there's a very good possibility that you don't. And so um, this is, a, again, I mentioned in the, in the startup, but this is a sweet spot for the clients that I work with uh, as they're coming up to retirement. And they're starting to think about this. So except for, I believe, except for a very few specific situations, you can usually cover your estate plan with some well-written 
and excellent beneficiary designations, and we're going to discuss that a little bit later. So who, who does need a trust? Well, if you're a high net worth person, you almost certainly should have a trust in place. So high net worth is maybe, you know, five million to on up. But especially if you have more than 10 or 20 million dollars, uh, 11 million per spouse is what can actually pass after death without any estate taxes. But if you're a high net worth individual, you probably ought to have a trust. If you're a business owner, especially if you're interested in that business having an ongoing life, you probably need a trust. If you have a blended family, let's say that for whatever reason you and your original spouse are not together anymore, and you've blended a family, you've got kids from one marriage and kids from another, probably really important that you explore having a trust. If you have a child that's special needs, you almost certainly need a trust, an estate planning attorney to look at that. If you still have minor children, there's a good reason to have a trust. And then, I see this more than you might think, but I have clients who are worried about a spendthrift heir. In other words, wow, when this money gets to that person, it is going to evaporate in year one. And so that's another really good reason to at least have a conversation with a estate planning attorney or maybe your financial advisor who might then forward you to an estate planning attorney. But in those situations, you probably need to get some good legal advice as to whether trust is right for you. If you're outside of those things, then I think you have a relatively smooth path to setting up a estate plan that gets your money to where you want it to go after you die without having a trust. And typically, that's going to circle around having really well-crafted beneficiary designations. So I want to dig into that just a little bit here, Walter. Yeah, let's definitely uh, go that direction. So this is a way to avoid probate for you. Now, if your estate goes into probate court, you don't really care because you're not here anymore. But the people that you leave behind, in addition to grieving for you, they're going to spend a lot of money and a lot of time with an attorney and a probate judge trying to get title to certain of your assets. So with really good beneficiary designations, you can avoid probate court and you can avoid a lot of fights between heirs. And those are all possible things. So typically what we see with beneficiary designations is that the primary beneficiary of virtually all the accounts and assets that you have is typically your spouse. Blended family, maybe not, but in a typical family, it's going to be the spouse. And then the contingent beneficiaries or the secondary beneficiaries are typically either your kids, maybe including your siblings, maybe it's uh, something, some of your assets you want to go to your church or your university, your, the university that you care about. But the important thing is that you get to choose until you die. And once you're gone, if there's no beneficiary designation or if that person happens to be deceased and there's no secondary, then the state has laws that it will follow to choose your beneficiaries for you. So Walter, these are accounts that we're all familiar with. We talk about a lot, IRAs and Roths, non-IRA, just your brokerage accounts, so non-IRA accounts. Even your bank accounts should have these. Believe it or not, your cars, your home, and any other real estate that you might own, a, a vacation property, a rental property, all of those things. You know what? Your boat or your jet skis, Anything that comes with a title can use a beneficiary designation instead of being put into a trust. So 
You know, we've covered that in in some detail in a prior podcast, and we might, uh, Walter, you might be able to make a note as to which one that was. But when you do an IRA or, or a Roth, it's part of the paperwork to name beneficiaries. So there's a very high probability that your accounts that are IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, and Roths, they have beneficiaries. Now, I've seen divorced couples that still have their ex-spouse as their beneficiary. And when we look at that, they go, oh my gosh, well, that needs to change. So you want to make sure that your beneficiaries are correct, but your IRAs and Roths probably already have beneficiaries attached to them. What certainly possibly doesn't would be a brokerage account, uh, an annuity, bank accounts. So your bank account is really just something you go into the lobby and and put a uh, transfer on death, a TOD designation on that. Same with your brokerage accounts. It's a separate form you have to fill out and attach to your brokerage account or attach to your bank accounts or your CDs. Your car is pretty simple, but you actually have to go to the DMV and have them put a beneficiary designation on it. Unless your car is worth almost nothing, at death, it is going to be a probated item. So you want to make sure you take care of that. And it takes about 30 minutes at the DMV. It's really simple. Your home is a little trickier. Um, you got to go to the, to the county courthouse. You can pay an attorney probably three or four or five or six hundred dollars to do it for you and that may be the route you choose as well as any rental properties or um, other real estate and then your boats and your jet skis those are things with the title as well so all you have to do is the titling authority will put that beneficiary designation on there for you so that's kind of step one if you decide that you don't need a trust You need to have really good beneficiary designations on all of your assets that have titles. What other things should we be on the lookout for, though, if we don't need a trust? So the beneficiary designation, I've had this come up a couple of different times. There are two different kinds of beneficiary designations, and I'm going to give you an example of each. And I hope in about three minutes, this becomes real clear as to why it's different. Kind of the the default when you fill out a beneficiary designation is something called per capita. But you can make a choice for per stirpes, and here's the difference. And most people that I talk to choose the one that is not the default. They want per stirpes, and they think that's what ought to just normally happen. So here's the example. Let's say that my wife and I have three adult kids, which we do. In my example, though, I've drummed up here. I've got um, a daughter and two sons. Let's say that the daughter has two kids of her own, but the two sons, they don't have any kids. So in this example, you, your wife, and your daughter are taking a weekend trip to St. Louis in the same car. Your kids and and her husband, your grandkids and her husband stay home. You're driving down I-70, truck, big truck changes lanes, crash, nobody in the car survives. If your beneficiary designations are per capita, and let's say you have a million dollars of IRAs, your son is going to get 500000 your other son is going to get 500000 and your daughter's kids are going to get zero. If, however, you check the per stirpes box, your son is going to get 333000 your other son is going to get 333000 and each of your daughter's kids are going to get 166000 Not her husband, because he's not in her bloodline. It would go to her kids, and if they're minors then the husband, he would oversee that until they became of majority. So it's pretty easy to see that's a huge difference in where your money might go if you have an accident like that. 
it's pretty rare. But if it happens to you and your family, you can't change it after it's happened. So what you want to do is sit down and say, well, am I fine with my grandkids getting nothing and my sons getting everything? Or do I really want my daughter's kids to benefit with what she would have otherwise inherited? And if you do, you just need to check and make sure it's a, the, the per stirpes box is checked. Now, we have some clients here that, at our shop that have annuities. And a lot of the annuity beneficiary designation forms don't even come with a per stirpes box. So you actually have to attach a list and explain to the annuity company that these are all per stirpes. So the takeaway here, Walter, is it's a really, really important. It seems like a secondary decision to be made with your beneficiaries. But I started off this section by saying you have to have excellent beneficiary designations. And part of that is making this choice between per capita and per stirpes. I'll virtually guarantee you that more than one of the listeners to this podcast, if they go and check these, they will realize they have one or more accounts that are not set up the way they want as far as beneficiary designations go. So do yourself, your spouse, your family a big favor and check out these beneficiary designations and make sure that they do what you want them to do before you don't have a say anymore after your death. The first class that I ever walked into in college was Latin, Latin 101 <laughs> at 8 a.m. on a Wednesday. And it was my very first college class and I never went back. So <laughs> per stirpes and uh, that, that, that one always gets me. I don't know why. It just never sticks. I've always had trouble with understanding the, uh, the different Latin terms that start to come into the equation when we get into legal. I like talking finances, less, less the legal side, David. So I'm glad you're here to help remind and clear these things up every, every once in a while. That's you know, Walter, that was pretty bold to even sign up for a college I don't know what I was thinking. I, I really don't know what I was thinking. Thinking. I, I had taken Spanish high in high school, and I think I was like, I want to do something different. I, I had taken German and Spanish in high school, and I was like, I want to do something different. And so I signed up for Latin, and it just happened to be my first class, and the only one I could get was like the 8 a.m. class. And I went in, and like five minutes in, I was like, I am in the wrong place. <laughs> yep. Probably a good call. <laughs> so I learned the power of being able to uh, not return to a class that you didn't like in college. I was like, well, this go. is powerful to be able to sign up for one and then back out of it with no consequences. Took this matters is... in your own hands. That became my routine for uh, the rest of my college career. I would sign up for as many classes as it would possibly allow and then attend them all the first week or so and then drop the ones that you know I, di I didn't like or enjoy or weren't <laughs> what I thought they'd be and you know that sort of thing. And it worked out okay. I still graduated. So. Yeah, there you go. Who yeah. needs that Latin anyway? You get guys like me to explain it to you. So That's you right. That. Yeah. I, just, I said, David will be along one day to help me with this. I don't, <laughs> don't need to spend so, the whole semester on it. <laughs> so we, got, we have trusts and we have people who aren't going to use trusts. And, and the vast majority of Americans are not going to use a trust. Probably half of the people who listen to these podcasts of ours maybe are or at least should consider but most of America will not ever use a trust, and that's perfectly fine, especially if you take care of your beneficiary designations. So I promised at the top of this that we were going to hit something that was broadly applicable to a lot more of our listeners. And so where we want to kind of finish here are some of the, you know, a lot of times they're thought, up as, thought of as cleanup items, but they can be super important if you haven't thought of them. And really, this is 
This is now in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. I'm going to mention three things here, actually four, that I think are super important, and I'm not going to go into extensive detail like we try not to do on these podcasts. What we're trying to do is shake some stuff loose in your brain. You take some notes and then follow up with that. But So the first two things are powers of attorney, financial powers of attorney and healthcare power of attorney. So here's why this is important. If you're not able to speak for yourself, there are certain of your accounts that only you can get into and make changes to. Like, for instance, your IRA. Uh, Your brokerage account might be jointly owned between you and your spouse, but your IRA is owned by you. And if you aren't able to speak for yourself, nobody's getting money out of that account until you're gone, until you die, except if you've named a power of attorney. So that power of attorney can write checks on your behalf, can withdraw money from your accounts, can make other financial decisions, can request dollars from your IRA or your non-IRA accounts, but they also need to be a really trusted relationship, a very high trust relationship. But that's what a financial power of attorney does. Now, you can conjure up in your own mind why if you're in your 40s or 50s and you get into a wreck and you can't speak for yourself, maybe you're in a coma for six months or maybe you are in it for two years and never come out, somebody is going to need to be able to write checks on some of these accounts. So having a financial power of attorney can be super important. Maybe it's your spouse and you have a secondary power of attorney that's maybe your brother or your brother-in-law or your sister, but somebody who you really trust. And then there are healthcare power of attorneys that can help speak for you if you're not able to speak for yourself. Think up the same line of, of uh, scenario, but in this case, it's not a financial question, it's a healthcare question. That is really helped along if you have the third piece, which is a living will, sometimes a healthcare directive. And what, that, what mine says is, here's what I want to have happen with my health if I can't speak for myself. If this is going on, do this. If this is going on, do that. If this is going on, don't do anything. Just let nature take its course. Those are super important. One particular example, I had a client who had a younger son who had health problems and his sister was a nurse and she convinced that young fella, he was in his 30s, to have a healthcare directive. And that healthcare directive had a do not resuscitate clause that he felt very strongly about. So the family's around his bed. He's having a serious health thing. And they were able to go to that piece of paper. Nobody around that bed had to make a decision because this young man had said, if I'm in that spot, here's exactly what I want to happen. So nobody had to carry the guilt that they might have carried. They didn't have to carry that forward after he was gone. And he did pass in the next week because they were fulfilling his wishes. I've done that for myself. Walter, I don't know if you, you're a young guy. You may not have even done that, but frankly, your wife's in healthcare. So she, so you might have that in place, but I just encourage every listener who's, who's listening to this. If you don't have that in place, it's not expensive to get it in place, but it can be super important and health emergencies, (laughs) they come up whether you're in your thirties or eighties and everywhere in between. So you've got your power of attorneys, you have your healthcare directive, and then a HIPAA authorization. So, Walter, your wife definitely understands this, and I'll bet you do too, but there are laws in this country that say that doctors are not allowed to give health status and medical information 
to a whole lot of people that are related to this patient. But if you have a HIPAA authorization, that allows the medical staff to share all of the findings, all of the situation. So what I did, what my wife did, is we have a HIPAA authorization that explains exactly who should know what. Pretty simple to put in place. It's kind of a boilerplate document, but it doesn't fill itself out. And so uh, that is a simple one to have in place too, but you actually have to do it. So financial power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, a living will, and a HIPAA authorization. If you have those four things in place and you have really good beneficiary designations, then for the most part, the vast majority of Americans are going to have a really good estate plan in place. And if you're one of the people that meet one of those exceptions that I mentioned early on, go see a good estate planning attorney and see if you need a trust. And if you do, pay the money and get that done. Either way, your heirs are going to be really, really thankful that you took that step. And David, are you able to help connect people if they are in need of an estate planning attorney or need that relationship or that introduction where you can help kind of connect those dots or have resources that you've turned to before in the past to help your previous clients, you know, through this part of their, our kind of three episode series here, uh, through this part of the planning equation? We do. We have um, attorneys that we trust and have a history with that we send people to. They're under no obligation to use them, and we certainly don't get uh, any financial benefit for doing that. It's a, it's a total, uh, it's a fiduciary relationship. But we feel really good about those folks and have had numerous clients that have had really good experiences with them. So uh, yeah, that, you'd want to find, I think you'd want a, a referral from either a trusted family member, somebody like me who would be a trusted advisor, uh, instead of going to the Yellow Pages can certainly see the benefit of that. And uh, if you have any questions about what we've talked about today, um, about trusts, wills, uh, legal documents, all those kinds of things, you can certainly get in touch with David to talk these things out a little bit more. 913-317-1414 is the number. That's 913-317-1414. Or go online to coveryourassetskc.com. You can easily Get in touch with us through the website as well. And check the description of today's show for necessary links and information. And uh, you had mentioned, David, um, I don't know if this was the episode that you had in mind, but back in episode 99, uh, shouldn't be easy to remember for you, 99, uh, (laughs) we did have a pretty in-depth discussion on wills and trusts. So uh, we go into even further detail on that one about some of the additional nuances and that kind of thing. So that might be one that people might want to check out as well. Sounds great. And you'll put a link in there for that? You bet. Only because you you asked so nicely, though, David. (laughs) (laughs) So two parts down, uh, but we have a part three in our series as we kind of march through these conversations about the three things you must understand if you're retiring in three to five years. And number three is going back to the financial side of things, and we're talking about how long that money is going to last, right, David? Exactly. It's also known as, when can I retire? And uh, the, the, the biggest fear amongst baby boomers, as reported in you know, Time and Newsweek, is fear of running out of money. So we're going to cover next week uh, some ways that you can have the confidence that you're not going to run out of money and how you might be able to give that confidence to people that you know, older or younger than you. We'll address it all right here on another edition of Cover Your Assets KC. In the meantime, David, thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. 
Sounds good to me. Thanks, Walter. All right. Join us next week for the conclusion of our three-part series on the three things you must understand if you're retiring in three to five years. We'll talk more about that coming up on the next show. Until then, we'll see you soon right back here on Cover Your Assets, KC. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and KC Financial Advisors are independent of each other.